Well, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter tonight, which is sort of the end of the book. And Paul is sort of just giving advice to people. That's why you were asked the question, what's some good advice that you received lately? I was thinking about that question, uh, not when you asked me, Peter, but later on I started thinking, my wife and I have been talking on the, on the, the way over here. We, we saw a really beautifully re restored 1956 Porsche driving over the hill, and we remembered tonight's the night at Windward Mall that they have the classic and, and hot rods down there. And, and I remember when I was a kid, and I always wanted to get a Model A Ford pickup truck and, and, uh, and, and build a hot rod. And my dad always was telling me, no, no, if you want something that's got value, restore it to original condition because it'll hold its value way better. Uh, eventually, I got a Model A Ford pickup truck, and I restored it to original condition. And, and when I go down there, I marvel at the hot rods. I just, just am blown away. But then when I see the cool, classic, uh, it's exactly like it was, you know. They, I had a 1948 Plymouth was my first car. I saw one of those down there on one of those shows in mint condition. It's like, <gasps> I want that car, you know, good advice. So Paul's kind of giving some advice. And, and, he, and he starts out talking about generosity. And, and I want to read it, and then I want to talk about experience I had this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. It says, Now regarding your question about money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure that I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money that you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. So he is not talking about tithing. He's talking about a special offering that he's made them hip to we're going to do this special thing for the very, very poor Christians living in Jerusalem. And don't run out and try to do it all at once. Start saving up. In other words, be thoughtful. Plan ahead. Make this be something that counts so that you, when you give, you can make it count. And he says, when I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. And we know from reading... Uh, early on in, in Acts chapter 15, that when they sent a gift, they would uh, actually send like two people from this church and two people from this church so nobody could steal the money. It was their way of securing it, and he's talking about that here. But he's saying, be, be prepared. Be thinking ahead and, and, and be thinking about what you're doing. We have a map of Jerusalem. I want to just show you a little geography here. Um, uh, these people live in Corinth, which is in, in Greece. Um, there's actually water that goes all the way here, and then there's this big Greek peninsula, and, there, and then there's this little isthmus right across here. Today, there, it's only two miles wide. Today, there's a canal there. I, I stood over that canal and got to visit ancient, ancient Corinth. Um, uh, Paul is living in Ephesus, about 180 miles away, uh, apparently pastoring a church for about three years there as he's talking back to the people in Corinth, the church that he had planted earlier. And he's telling them to take an offering for people who live way down here, about 800 miles away maybe, uh, far, far enough away that they might never ever in their life even meet any of those people. And he's saying, you need to care for these people. And here's an interesting thing. When the, the, the Christians in Jerusalem got started, and in terms of any kind of missionary work at all, it was really caused by this guy, Paul, who's writing this. And you read about it in Acts chapter 8. The Christians had been told to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. And what we know is by Acts chapter 8, it was nine years after Jesus told the disciples to do that. 
and nobody had left Jerusalem. In fact, in Acts 8, it says that Paul, Saul, was his name then, began persecuting the church so badly that it says this, all except the apostles, the word apostle means sent ones, w traveled. And wherever they went, they went preaching the gospel. And so that we know that it says that some went to Cyprus, some went to, to Cyrene, which is up around in here, some went to uh, northern Africa. Uh, everywhere they went, they scattered, and everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. And then it says um, in, in Acts chapter 11 that some of those people who were scattered had come up here to Antioch, which is in Syria, which is the place that's having all the trouble that we read about in the newspaper every day right now. And a church got formed in Antioch, and in the first organized attempt at sending missionaries was Paul and Barnabas. And they went to Cyprus, and then they went up into around in here, and they came back to Antioch. And, and now having seen the world, and this is the thing that I'm trying to say, having gotten a little vision for what goes on out there, suddenly having seen the world, they have compassion for these poor people back here. You get a big view of the world and it's bigger than you are and bigger than your backyard and bigger than your next paycheck and suddenly you start to care about other people and, and it begins to make a difference in you. And so these people have given seriously to these people earlier before the church in Corinth was started. Now Paul is living in Ephesus telling the church he started in Corinth, you give back to these people. In other words, get a vision for the world, care about people. I had lunch with a guy named Joe Hanley yesterday. Joe is the, the president of a ministry called Asian Access. And it's with Asian Access that I travel to Myanmar or Burma, uh, to Nepal and to Mongolia. Remember Sundar? Uh, he came out of that ministry. Um, we got to talking and I, I found out some really interesting things. That ministry called Asian Access was started by my high school youth pastor, uh, when I was 15 years old. In fact, when that guy moved to Japan to start a thing called Lighthouse Institute for Evangelism, it was basically an English school that would teach you the gospel. Um, we bought his furniture because we just got married. And um, uh, that was after I was 15 years old. Um, <laughs> and so, um, but he started this ministry and later on they, they morphed. Uh, the language thing changed and they morphed into something that they called uh, Japan Church Growth Institute. And I went over there and I taught a, a bunch of pretty dead pastors. Uh, and I used to go to these groups over in Japan a lot. And I would, I would actually kind of, uh, so when we were small as a church and we didn't have much money, and I had guys I was discipling to plant churches. Paul Suzuki is one of them, pastoring 80 people today. Uh, the guy in Machida City, where some of our kids will be next week, uh, I, I was there. Uh, but I would run around and see those guys, but I'd, I'd let these other rich groups pay for my airplane ticket. Then I'd go in and preach, do my thing, and then I'd travel around and, and do the real stuff. And, and I, I remember this, that I, this one age strata of pastors that I talked to forever, and it was like boring and awful, and I felt like uh, usually I would be invited because they're going to have a conference and they've got to get a speaker, and your job is to get up there and entertain people. They're not going to change a bit. And so I met this guy yesterday, or yeah, it was yesterday, and he's telling me these guys basically haven't changed in all the years since there. I haven't been there for 20 years with those groups of people until Sendai, until the earthquake hit in Sendai. And he says, you'd be amazed at what it's doing. I've been telling you about Sendai, right? That all these churches in Japan are now doing ministry in Sendai. I mean, I know people in Fukuoka where it's like 350 miles away, 400 miles away, 
and, and you got to go underneath the ocean for 20 miles to get to Honshu to get on, you know, it, it's just incredible. I know people from, in Hakodate that every week send a small truckload on a ferry, and they, and they ferry stuff, and then they got to drive like 200 miles to get to Sendai. And, 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 but here's what Joe told me. He said, what's amazing is, and he, and he was aware of what I'm aware of, all those churches are leading people to the Lord, and all those churches are starting house churches in Sendai, and that we all believe that Sendai five years from now will be the most Christian per capita area in Japan. That's cool, huh? But that's not the end of it. He said the really wonderful thing is all those dead Japanese churches are coming to life because of what they're doing over in Sendai. See, when we begin to get out of ourselves and we get a vision for other people and we start to care about other people, then what happens is somehow there's a, there's a spiritual transaction that takes place. I mean, we all understand tithing. God says he'll bless you if you bless others. But there's, there, there, there's more to it than a... I mean, I, I can look at my life and Glenn can just stand up here and tell you the story he just told about you know, having the best week that he's had in, in his 20-year career. He told me about it last week. He told me more than he told you. It was big. I mean, he... he, he, he you know what a guy sells? Potato chips. And... Uh, you know how much of potato chips he unloaded two weeks ago? About $78,000 worth. That's a lot of potato chips to sell in a week. Um, and, uh, and you get blessed. But it's more than a dollars and cents thing. There's something that happens to you, and you begin to change, and your life begins to change, and God does something to you on the inside. And that's what's happening to these churches in Japan. As they're investing in Sendai, all of a sudden they're coming to life, and then the other thing is, they're beginning to invest in their own communities. And they're starting to do things that they never, ever did before, and they're caring for people like they never did, and there's church growth as a result. Is that good or what? I think that's something worth clapping over or hooting or hollering or something. A, a companion scripture, if you got your Bible open and want to write in it, would be in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. We should start with the family of God and then go branch out from there. You know, we're, we're seeing incredible things happening in Africa uh, because Christians are, are starting to get involved. I've gotten hooked up. I, I, uh, I, we decided that we would support somebody from uh, Compassion International to go to university because of what I've seen in Africa. I want it to be an African person. I, you know, everybody's doing the Philippines. That's wonderful. I think that's a cool, very cool thing. But... I, something happened to me when I went to Africa. I saw the world in a whole different light, and I'm willing to make a priority out of that, and it's changing my life, and God's going to bless me for it. Am I making sense? Yeah. Well, he moves on, and he talks about being relational. And verse 5, uh, he, he talks about several things. He's ending a letter here. It's not his last letter to these people, but he's ending a letter, so he's just hitting on a lot of little things. He, it's, it, advice. It says, be relational. I am coming to visit you after I have been to Macedonia. And for I'm planning to travel through Macedonia. Perhaps Macedonia is kind of a suburb of Greece, right? Perhaps I will stay a while with you, possibly all winter, and then you can send me on my way to my next destination. I'm coming. I want to hang out with you. I miss you. I used to be your pastor. And then you can send me on my way to my next destination. What he's really saying is take an offering and pay for the boat fare for me to get to where I have to go. Then he says this time, verse 7, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on, which was his pattern usually. I want to come and stay a while 
if the Lord will let me. I think what the guy is saying is this. I, I worked hard. I mean, you know, Paul in one place talks about all the times he'd been beaten up and the three times shipwrecked and, and the amount of times he'd been in prison. And, and in Corinth, I mean, he took a beating in Corinth. I mean, he, he took a lot of heat in Corinth when he started the church there. And, and I think now he's at the point where he's going, I'm kind of an old guy, and I would like to have the joy of hanging around with my friends. I want to be with you guys for a while, you know? Uh, I feel that a lot. I, I, I love coming here on Saturday nights. I mean, it's just, uh, we're, there's a bunch of us getting ready talking about going on a trip to Europe, you know, uh, next year. If you're interested, come see me. But um, we're, we're it's it, it just, there, there comes a time that you just want to fellowship. You, you know, I, I just love going to my mini church. Last week was my last night in my mini church. We're going to start a new one on the other side of the island. And, and uh, it was just a, it was a, it was a, 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 you know, one of those bittersweet moments. You just love being with these people, and you hate the fact that it's your last night. And Paul's kind of coming. I just want to hang out with you guys. I want to stay a while, if the Lord will let me. I'm, I'm hoping to be together. And he says, in the meantime, between now and then, I'll be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There's a wide open door for a great work here, though many oppose me. And he just talks about the ministry, and he says, I'm still in Ephesus. I want to come visit you, or I'm going to be here for a while. Because God has opened doors in immense ways, though many oppose me. And when, and when Paul's talking about many opposing him, he's usually talking about violence. He was violently opposed in his life. It would be like trying to take the gospel into Islamic country. I read an interesting article this week. I posted it on my Facebook. And um, it's telling about how many people from Iran, thousands, are, are finding the Lord and being baptized in water in Christian churches in East Germany. And the interesting thing is the article starts out about talking about godless East Germany. Because, you know, Europe, since World War II, has pretty much turned its back on God. Europe is beginning to come back to life spiritually. That's why we're interested in doing stuff. Uh, the people that teach Alpha have started over 200 churches in, in England in the last couple of, of decades. It's just pretty amazing what's going on. But it's still slow. And uh, But on top of the fact that people in Europe kind of got an attitude, how could there be a God if you let World War II happen? 60 million people died. You know, that doesn't stack up, and they just pushed God out of their thinking. But on top of that, in East Germany, they were taught not to believe in God. So Eastern Germany, where the Protestant Reformation was born, has, has been much slower to come alive than Western Germany. And yet in Eastern Germany, pastor after pastor after pastor is, is reporting about all these Muslims from Iran that have moved to Germany who are now becoming born again. But then the end of the article talked about how these people are bringing their families and their friends, but they're doing so at great personal risk to their lives because under Islam, if you convert to another religion, they want to kill you. They don't want to disown you like they do in Japan or take your job away from you. They want to kill you. And so this... Spiritual awakening is happening uh, uh, among Iranians in Germany. It's interesting. I, I was in New Zealand a couple of weeks ago. The major thing that's happening in New Zealand is people from South Asia are coming to know the Lord in New Zealand. They immigrate to New Zealand, and God's built a movement. The same kind of thing is happening in France. People from North Africa who are Islamic are finding the Lord in France in churches pastored by North Africans who can preach like they never could do in Somalia or someplace like that without getting killed. They can do it in France. The Lord just kind of mixing everything together. Is it cool? I, I, 
You know, I don't have a big point about it. It's just cool. I just thought you ought to hear that. Well, moving on, he talks about us being a team. Verse 10, he says, when Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. Uh, why would it say that? Well, because he's a young guy. And sometimes old people have trouble with young people. Did you ever notice? We don't like their music. We don't like their clothes. We don't like their attitudes. We don't like their, you know, their way of viewing the world. We don't like lots of things. In fact, he writes to Timothy in another place, and he says, let no man despise your youth. In other words, let no one look down on you because of your youth, but instead you set your jaw tight and you become an example to the believers. In other words, you grow up and be a man so that they will respect you. On the other hand, he tells these people, when he comes, don't intimidate him. Don't put him down because of his youth. And, and you know what? That's not just his youth, his youthfulness. Chances are he's going to do some stupid things. Give him a break. Cut him some slack. You know, let him gain some experience. You know, I, I had the benefit of, of learning to be a pastor when I was 25 years old, and the average age of the church was like 21 or 22. So I was the old guy, <laughs> except for then that we had a few people who would come in their suits and ties, and they were old people like there were three families at once that came. All three men were 38. They were middle-aged people. Uh, there, there was a guy that was 45, and he was pretty wealthy, and, 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 and he would come. And you should have seen the day that, that this hippie kid came and informed him, I'm going to marry your daughter. The guy comes in and goes, who's this Rick kid? He's going to marry my Nancy. And I'm going, he's a good kid, man. You know, back off a little bit. And, and I go find Rick, and I go, so what happened? Ah, oh, guy, you know, Tay guy, he tells me this stuff and he gets so mad at me when, it's, you know, I, I, I asked him if I could marry his daughter. I go, did you ask or did you tell? Well, maybe I told him. <laughs> well, maybe you should ask him. So I got the two of them together. They got in the parking lot, have a little talk. 20 minutes later, the two men, I mean, one very successful businessman and one guy that had done time in jail and was a really scary dude and I went to Venice Beach, California with them, and everywhere we went, every conversation stopped. Oh, hi, Rick. Nobody would talk. I mean, scary dude. And these two guys come in arm in arm, crying their eyes out. This is good, right? This is the older guy learning to not despise the younger guy. And you know something? Those two guys got married, Rick and Nancy, and Ruby's in touch with them on Facebook. And that was in 1972, and they're still married, and they got grandkids, and they're doing good. And probably, if he is watching on the TV thing, I need to say to him, don't intimidate young people. <laughs> when Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. He's doing the Lord's work just as I am. He may not be as good at it. He may be young at it. He may mess it up a little bit, but he's doing it just as I am. Don't let anyone treat him with contempt. Send him on his way with your blessing. When he returns to me, I expect him to come with other believers. In other words, let some people come along with him, partner with him, join with him. He goes on and says, now about our brother Apollos. Apollos was really the first guy in Corinth doing anything. I urged him to visit you with the other believers, but he's not willing to go right now. We don't know why, but he was involved in the ministry. He had other priorities. It says he'll see you later when he has an opportunity. Then it says, here's what you do. Be on your guard. What's that mean? Be on your guard against Satan. We're talking about relationships. 
Satan wants to come in. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says it's the little foxes that spoil the grapes, you know. Uh, be, be, be cautious about your relationships. Be on your guard. Don't let Satan mess with you. Stand firm in your faith. You know, you got crisis in your life. I was talking to a man earlier tonight who's going through some difficulty. You, you heard uh, Glenn get up here and say, we got these financial crises, but I don't, they don't bother me too much. Well, what's he saying? I'm, I've learned to stand firm in my faith. I, I was talking to a man who is nervous about the, not nervous, he, he's faced with the possibility that his job will evaporate. And, and then he says, but I'm not anxious about it. And I'm going, man, if that was me, I'd be anxious out of my brain about it. Paul's saying, stand firm in your faith. You pray about something, well, act like you prayed about it. You pray about something, act like you believe that God can do what you can't possibly do. I mean, the only reason that we pray is because we can't. Right? I, 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 if I can, I do. If I can't, I pray. Are you? Am I making any headway with that one? That's not probably the way that it ought to work. I ought to probably pray first. But I tend to be very self-reliant. If I can, I do. If I can't, I pray. Well, at least I can get to the point where after I prayed, I act like I prayed. <laughs> what would that mean? Well, I start to expect something to happen. Instead of still trying to do, I'm going to expect. So he says, be on your guard. You get Satan coming in and screwing things up. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Literally in the original language, he's saying, be a man. And so it, it's kind of weird because he's talking to men and women here. He's not talking to Timothy here. He's talking to the church at Corinth. In other words, you know, tough up and uh, act like you believe in God and be strong in your faith. And then he says, do everything with love. Do everything with love. No, no, no room for vindictiveness. No room for retribution. No room for you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Just do everything with love. You know that Stephanus and his household were the first of the harvest of believers in Greece, and they're spending their lives in service of God's people. Greece is where Corinth is. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to submit to them and to others like them who serve with such devotion. In other words, these are the elders among you. They're the people who've been around the block. They know what's going on. Uh, you submit to them doesn't mean to be a slave to them. It means to accept leadership and the vision and the direction that God has given to leaders and, 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 and go with the flow. He says in verse 17, I am very glad that Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus have come here to Ephesus. They came from Corinth to Ephesus. They have been providing the help you weren't able to give me. Paul's an old man now who knows what kind of help they're giving him. They have been a wonderful encouragement to me as they have been to you. You must show, all, show your appreciation to all who serve so well. In other words, when these elders from your church come back home, you make sure that you show them respect and that you... You, 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 you move with where the Spirit's taking the church and you move with where everybody's going together. Um, in verse 19, he says, be sincere. It says, the churches here in the province of Asia, when he says the word Asia in the Bible, think of the modern nation of Turkey, which is just kind of across a little short bit of ocean from Greece. The churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. You know, if you read the book of Revelation, uh, the seven, ch seven churches that are mentioned in chapters 3 and 4 of Revelation are all in what was called Asia then, what's called Turkey today, and none of those churches exist today. It's interesting. 
if, if the churches in Asia hadn't been willing to be involved in planting churches in other parts of the world, then when the churches in Asia went under, the whole Christian church would have gone under. And it's as we keep reaching to other places. It's amazing to me. You know, I, I told you I was in New Zealand three weeks ago, I guess. And, and now New Zealand as a, as a country, Christianity is down to a level of only 5% of the people in New Zealand are Christians. What used to be a great missionary sending nation is now a nation where people are moving. I, I, I met six pastors from Sri Lanka who God has sent to be missionaries in New Zealand. You know, my friend Fernando Castillo, New Hope Diamond Head, is living in Hawaii because when as a young man, God called him from Colombia. Remember Colombia in the 1990s, the drug things, the, the wars that were going on? God called Fernando to become a missionary to this place called the United States. You know, I grew up in the Portland, Oregon Foursquare Church. The Portland, Oregon Foursquare Church, there, there was a snowstorm one night in the middle of winter, and a guy driving a beer truck ducked inside the church just to get out of the snow and not have an accident and kill himself. And he was a, a, a godless, unbelieving, bad man named Joe Knapp. He sat in that church service. You know um, um, that song, California Dreaming? Do you remember it? And it, and, 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 and it says, I ducked into a church to stay. Uh, uh, got on my knees to pray. Preacher loves the cold. He thinks I'm going to stay. Well, that's what happened to Joe Knapp. He stayed. And he ended up not being a beer truck driver anymore. He started a four-square church in Colombia. And out of that came this ministry where they started a big church. They started a Bible school. They got hundreds of churches in Colombia. Out of that came a kid named Fernando Castillo, who in the 1980s, 1990s, felt that God called him to become a missionary to the United States. And he's pastoring one of the biggest churches in Hawaii today. Is that cool or what? And so there has to be this Chrissy Crossy thing going on. There has to be a vision for the world and that we care about each other and that we go and, and that we do what we, what we do. He says, the churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. So they were having house church. Uh, all the brothers and sisters here send greetings to you. Greet each other with Christian love. Actually, uh, some translations say greet each other with a kiss. And when I was a young pastor, we used to try to explain that away and say, well, that meant a hug. Well, then I went to the Middle East, and I found out that they greet each other with a kiss. Uh, you go to France, they kiss you on both cheeks. Um, you, you go to Italy, they kiss you on the neck. Uh, I don't like any of it. <laughs> but I can greet somebody with Christian love. Here's a companion scripture, and I'm going to spend a little time talking about this one. Um, it's in Romans chapter uh, 12. And um, it says, don't just pretend to love each other. Really love them and hate what is wrong. You know, you, you, can, you can have somebody who's wronging you and you can hate what is wrong and then still love the person. You can, you can, you can get to that place. Sometimes it's very hard to even love the person because they're hurting you so bad. He says, hold tightly to what is good, you know. It's better to not look at the bad stuff in somebody else, but look at whatever is the good stuff that's in somebody else. And then he says, love each other with genuine affection. 
and take delight in honoring each other. Make it a, 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 a nice thing that you honor people, that you, that you give credit to people. You know, we always hear the, say, the saying, give credit where credit is due. Sometimes we want to withhold credit because we want to make us look good and not that other person. Be a person that learns to honor somebody who deserves to be honored and, 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 and be generous with that kind of honor. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. You know, we, we, we got this thing that's going to go on this thing in, in Kailua where they're going to reach out and try to help a bunch of poor people, and they're trying to recruit us as ministers. Well, we have to jump in and do stuff like that. Rejoice with your conf in confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. In other words, keep acting like prayer matters because it does. And when God's people are in need, then you be ready to help them and always be, be eager to practice hospitality. He goes on and says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. You know, I had a guy who persecuted me for a long time. You don't know him, but I do, unfortunately. And uh, I, I, I would try to forgive him. And it was like, I was a Hare Krishna. I forgive, I forgive. And it was getting me nowhere because I couldn't honestly forgive somebody who really didn't want to be forgiven. They wanted to keep hurting you. And so you begin to be a little bit of a hypocritical Christian when you start saying, I forgive somebody, but deep inside your heart, you, you, you're really incapable of it. You know, Jesus says you got a problem with somebody, go to them. If that doesn't work, take somebody with you. And if that doesn't work, then, then treat them like a, a heathen. Treat them like, like, like somebody as an outsider. They don't exist to you. He tells us in another place, if you try to share the gospel with people and they reject you, kick the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they're, they're sometimes, you know, I, I, I've, I've met wives that were in danger of being killed by their violent husband. And there's Christians going, you've got to forgive, you've got to forgive, you've got to stay, you've got to stay. No, you don't have to stay and be murdered. And so in the middle of this thing where I had this person that was persecuting me, and I was freaking out because I was trying to forgive him, and I couldn't be honest about that, I stumbled into the scripture one day in my devotions. And I thought, I can pray that God will bless him. Because when I bless my children, I bless them in lots of different ways. I bought them candy. I bought them ice cream. I bought them school clothes. I taught them things. I taught them how to take things apart and put them back together. And I spanked them. I blessed them in all those things. And so I could pray, God bless this person. Open hand. Oh, I'm not saying go spank them. I'm just saying, God bless them any old way you want to. But get them out of my hair. <laughs> and somehow, that allowed me to be done with it. When I prayed that prayer, I could stop thinking about the person night and day. I could just go, bless them, and it's your deal. It ain't mine anymore, and I'm not going to worry about it. Does that make sense? And I got free. I got free. And you know what? The Lord did kind of do some discipline in that other person's life. And later on, uh, quite some time later, they sought me out and apologized for what had gone on. Hmm. Interesting. I believe there's cause and effect involved there, that you do the thing the Scripture says, and good things will happen. But he says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. 
be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. We were in mini church this week, and 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 we got a family that's really struggling. They they have a son that 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 has special needs, and they're trying to get him in the right school. And and there was somebody who was visiting our mini church who isn't a, really a believer, and 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 they were kind of I don't know. They, they wanted to make everything be about them. And they know that school that these people are talking about putting their kids in. And they just started to tear into this woman about, you never want your child to go to that school. That's a horrible place. I used to work in that place. And the, the principal over there is terrible and horrible. And you don't want anything to do with this. And, and I, I had to finally leave that place because of that evil principal. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, yeah, but I know why you left that place because of that principal. Because she probably fired you because you're such an idiot. And she's just wanging on this poor lady who's got this son that she cares about, and she's trying desperately to make sure that she can get her son into this school, and, this, and, the, and the school will understand her son's needs. And she's praying. She wants her son to go to this school, and this woman's going, Aah! And so it says, weep with those who weep. It doesn't say yell at them. And so finally, I... I won't tell you what I said, but I <laughs> did cut her off at the knees. <laughs> and as soon as mini church was over, she was out the door. And, and, and everybody came up to me. And, and I'm, don't, it was like everybody wanted to say something. And nobody had the courage to say something. And it needed to be said. You're supposed to weep with those who weep, not pounce on them and, and go, oh, boy, you really got problems and it's going to get worse. Uh, you're supposed to weep with those who weep. And you're supposed to be happy with those who are happy. And it says you're supposed to live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. That was the problem we faced the other night. Never pay back evil with more evil. See, don't pay back evil with evil. Don't do retribution. Don't, do, do, you know, don't be vindictive. Don't go after people. Forgive them if you can forgive. If you can't forgive, just pray God bless them any way, way he wants to and walk away. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Make it your deal to be at peace with the people around you the best you can do. And you can't always do it that way, but do the best you can do. And then he goes on and he says, here is, is um, my greeting in my own handwriting. This isn't in Romans, this is back in Corinthians. Here's my greeting in my own handwriting. Uh, if anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Our Lord, come. May the Lord come back. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Uh, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to talk to you about two things that are here, just so you understand them. One is, when he says, I see I write this in my own handwriting, uh, we believe, we don't know. But, but Paul does talk about having an affliction. And he says that the affliction was, was like, something that Satan had done to hurt him. And he asked the Lord several times to take it away. And the Lord said to him, no, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, this, whatever this affliction was, it could have been another person for all we know, or it could have been a physical thing. But he does say in another one of the epistles that I know that when you saw me, some of you would gladly have taken your eyes out and given your eyes to me. So what we really believe is that having seeing the Lord and that incredible vision that he saw and that brought blinding light from heaven, having been blind for three days and then healed of the blindness that Paul had 
some kind of an eye affliction. And so what we're certain of is that Paul didn't handwrite the epistles. Somebody else wrote them, and in a couple of them he says this kind of stuff, see, I signed it with my own handwriting. In other words, I had to dictate. Somebody wrote it, but here I'm signing, so I want you to know it's really me talking here. Am I making sense? And then he says this other thing, and as, and as you read it, you, you could look and think that Paul's cursing somebody. In verse 22, he says, if anyone doesn't love the Lord, that person is cursed. In other words, all those people out there, they're cursed. Curse them. That's not really what he's saying. He's saying if somebody doesn't love the Lord, they're already under the curse of sin. And he's talking about love. I mean, what a kind of interesting way to end a chapter. You're talking the whole thing about love and relationships and giving and caring, and then you go, that guy's cursed. And, 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 and if you don't really put it back into context with the rest of the chapter, then you think that he's like some right-wing Christian idiot blasting people. No, no, no. He's saying they're under a curse. We've got to rescue them. We've got to rescue them. And we've got to be about all these things that he's talking about because all these things are what draw people out from under the curse. If they see the reality of, 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 of non-hypocritical love and grace and justice in us, then they're going to want what we got, and we have an opportunity to draw them out from under the curse of Satan. You know, when we were young and back in those days uh, when the church was getting started, we, we would always talk about uh, the, the, the gospel in this way. It's like you're standing in a rainstorm and somebody comes to offer you an umbrella. The person offering you the umbrella is not causing you to get wet. They're not saying you're going to, you know, because you're not under my umbrella, you're going to get, no, you're already good and wet. They're offering you the umbrella so that you can get dry. So Paul's not here saying, I'm withholding the umbrella. Those people are cursed. What Paul's saying is, those people are living under the curse. I've got the umbrella that's going to that's gonna come and protect them from the curse, and they get a the chance to live under the blessing, and that's the kind of people that we need to be. Am I making sense? We kind of wandered around a little bit tonight, but he kind of wandered around in the letter, and and that's good, and, and, and there's some good stuff here. And, you know, I know that uh, when you uh, sit in church, you hear things, and you hear different things, because I talk to you at the back door, and different people pick up on different things. The Holy Spirit breathes on the Word of God, and he applies it to our heart in different ways. And so there's little nuggets that you take out of a passage like this. And I kind of like preaching these kind of passages that pop all around, because you kind of hit on so many things, and and I know it tends to meet different needs than you would in another situation. It's a good time. Well, let's pray together. Father, we come to you tonight in the name of, our, of your son, Jesus, who is our Lord. Because he is our Lord, we want to live the way that we're called to live. And we want to be a people who are generous in our hearts. Uh, we want to be a people who are relational. We want to be a people who are loving toward each other. We want to be people who are forgiving. And Lord, if, we, if, if, we, if we're going through such pain that forgiveness doesn't work well, then we at least want to be people who bless. We don't want to be people who curse. And Lord, we look and we realize that we're living in a world that's under a curse. Lord, we live in, a, in, in, in an amazing time in history. We have fantastic technology. We have uh, a, a life of ease, absolute ease, compared even to the, the life that people lived in the 1940s, the life that we live is much, much, much easier. And yet, the world seems to be so much of a dark place. So much evil, so much darkness, so much 
harm to children, the, the kind of things that happened in Colorado this week, the, just the kind of stuff that we're reading about in the Middle East, the, the wanton slaughter of people. And we know that we live in a cursed world because of the curse of sin. And Lord, we pray that we will be people who bring light into that darkness. And Lord, that it starts at home, that we learn to practice on each other so that we can love the people who aren't so lovely out there. And that your grace would be extended to the world around us through us. We surrender ourselves and our lives and our future to you. In Jesus' name.